Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's talk to Tony Pauline, who's an NFL draft analyst, does great work, profootballnetwork.com, and he joins me on the show right now. Tony, how are you doing today? I'm okay. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show. So um, let me start with this, Tony. Um, before we get into some of the specific rookies and, and team needs and things like that, how much does the specter of Deshaun Watson's possible availability loom over this draft right now? Right now, really nothing until there's an actual trade made or, or he ends up with a team other than the Texans. I don't think that teams are really basing their draft strategy on, on the fact that they may acquire or the remote possibility they acquired Deshaun Watson in a trade. That would be kind of ridiculous at this point in time. I mean, if he is moved to a team like the Jets, maybe the Miami Dolphins, who knows if, in fact, he is moved, then it will have a major impact at that point in time. I feel like asking you this question, this, this is like, you know, when, when, uh, when you ask money questions to your friends that, that aren't financial advisors, they've got opinions on it. But when you ask a financial advisor, they really know what the answers are for currency and things like that. So I feel like if I'm asking a draft expert this, you have a better answer than just those of us kind of picking it, you know, just sort of picking the package out of the wind as to what Deshaun Watson is worth. But as somebody who follows the draft as closely as you, what would a reasonable package be for Deshaun Watson if you're the Houston Texans? Well, I mean, comparatively, you'd say three first-round picks. Now, there's a lot more that goes into it. You look at the Stafford trade, which, to my mind, was mind-boggling, and basically what the Rams gave up to him. So you would think that that would increase what the Houston Texans would get for Deshaun Watson. But then you also have to figure in that, number one, you know, the Texans may not have a lot of leverage here if Deshaun Watson is willing to sit out the season. And the fact is, there comes a point in time where you're just going to price yourself out of the market. And, you know, people saying four, four first-round picks, that's an insane amount, and I really don't think any team is going to select that. So I would say three first-rounders, two first-rounders, and a player, something in that sort of uh, vein. Tony Pauline, ProFootballNetwork.com, talking some NFL drafts. So the, the, next, the next logical question is, okay, well, if you're going to trade Deshaun Watson, then you've got you've to come away with some path to a solution at quarterback. I think that's imperative if you're the, the Houston Texans. What does this draft class look like? They're obviously, it, unless there's a bombshell, they're not going to wind up with Jacksonville's pick at number one. So beyond Trevor Lawrence, how, how do you grade this quarterback class, and what do you think the chances are of, 
of finding finding the next Deshaun Watson feels like a silly question, but at least finding somebody who's who fits the mold of some of these recent young quarterbacks who've had some early success coming into the league. Yeah, and remember, Deshaun Watson was not a top three pick, not a top five pick. Right. So you, you know, uh, coaching goes into it as much as the player itself. But to, more, to pointedly answer your question, I think it's a real good quarterback class. I think the fact is the spotlight is being taken by Trevor Lawrence, understandably so, because he deserves it. But when you get past Trevor Lawrence and you look at players like Justin Fields of Ohio State, Zach Wilson of BYU, those are two really good but different quarterbacks who I think would be in the conversation for the first selection of the draft if Trevor Lawrence wasn't available in this year's draft. You go a little bit further down, Trey Lance of North Dakota State, great upside, outstanding physical skills, has only started one year on a small school level. And as we've seen in the past, quarterbacks that start one year in a Division One level have struggled to have any longevity of success. So with Trey Lance, he's got a lot of upside, but you're going to have to be careful with him. have to coach him correctly. You may need to sit him for a year. And then there's Mac Jones, who – Really did a good job taking over for Tua Tagliavoa. Had a spectacular year in 2020. Was splendid at the Senior Bowl. So now he's talked himself into being a potential late first-round pick, although I think he's more of a scheme-specific player. And then even after those guys, you're talking Kyle Trask of Florida, Davis Mills of Stanford, good developmental quarterback. So I like the quarterback class in this year's draft. Tony, I want to ask you, actually, of all those, it's Mac Jones I want to ask you a follow-up on here because Alabama, it, it's, it's strange with Alabama. You know, they're, they're, they're the best team in the best conference. It cranks out the most NFL players every year. And yet I feel like there's this thing with Alabama, and maybe we saw that a little bit with Tua and how he struggled as a rookie, where, man, they're just so good offensively that if you're a quarterback, things just seem to set up so nicely for you there that you may be dealing with just pressure and adversity for the first time as a player that, because that offense is such a well-oiled machine. Does that make it difficult to scout Alabama players, especially in this particular class, because they were just such a machine offensively this year? It absolutely does. But that's why I threw in the fact that Mac Jones looks spectacular at the Senior Bowl because the Senior Bowl, which I've been going to practices literally for 21 years now, is a kingmaker at certain positions, including the quarterback spot. And, you know, it, it would be very difficult when you look at the fact that, you know, over the course of the past uh, season and a month since he took over from Tua, Jones had f- four receivers that are going to end up as first-round picks, two last year, two this year, two offensive tackles that it could be first-round picks, Najee Harris. I agree with you. But at the senior ball, he was terrific with a brand-new set of skill players, I mean receivers that were basically foreigners to him. And it wasn't just a pass here or there. It was day after day of accurate passing, great timing on throws, uh, basically didn't make bad. I thought I saw one bad pass that he made. So, you know, I went into the Senior Bowl very skeptical about Mac Jones, basically because of the argument that you just laid out. But after watching him command and control the offense and knowing what I know about you know, senior bowl quarterbacks, I thought he really did a good job. But again, as I said, I don't think he's a quarterback for everybody. I don't think he's a scheme-versatile quarterback. You may have to put him in a certain type of offense. Tony Pauline, ProFootballNetwork.com, is joining me on CBS Sports Radio. How about the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith? What kind of pro do you think he's going to make? 
similar to Mac Jones in the sense that I think he's more dynamic. He's probably more NFL ready. He's a complete receiver, but with that lack of size and the stunt that he pulled at the senior ball, I don't think he's a good receiver for every single offense. I think if you're a cold weather offense, you may shy away. If you, you know, you like to run the ball a lot and you want your receivers to block downfield, a la the Baltimore Ravens, you may shy away from him. But I think in Atlanta Falcons offense, the Falcons who obviously don't need another receiver, but in that sort of offense, uh, maybe even uh, what the Miami Dolphins are trying to do, I think he'd be a very good fit. And the stunt that you're talking about, are you talking about him refusing to be uh, measured at the senior bowl? Not only just measured, but why did he even show up? Because he didn't practice. You know, he took a roster spot and he went there and basically did nothing. So... Not being measured was, you know, a major blemish, but then he doesn't show up at practices, which I just thought was just really a bad public relations move. Yeah, we and we're for an Alabama player, right? I mean, like, yeah. you think, you know, coming out of Nick Saban's program, he'd be pretty buttoned down from that respect. Uh, absolutely, especially since, you know, his quarterback was there, you know, performed yeah. well. He had his left tackle there in Alex Leatherwood, who performed uh, the, the offensive tackle. Brown was there, and, you know... Granted, this was a different year in the sense that you didn't have fans there watching senior bowl practices, but usually the Alabama players are the highlight of senior bowl practices for obvious reasons. The event takes place in Alabama. But when he had all this other talent, even his running back, uh, guy, even the running back, Najee Harris, who measured in and then took a few reps here and there at practice uh, when he really didn't have to, it, it was just a bad move all around by Devonta Smith. Hey, uh, Tony, the, we had several opt-outs this year of guys that are viewed as, as high draft picks. How did the, how did the opt-out, their, how did their decision to opt-out, or has it affected their draft stock, either positively, negatively, or no effect at all? Well, I don't think it's going to affect anybody positively, in the, uh, only in the sense that these guys didn't get hurt because they weren't on the field. Right. But I think it depends on the player and the position. You can't broad brush it. A guy like Penny Sewell of Oregon – I don't think it really affected him any way, one shape or another. He's a terrific left tackle prospect. He's athletic. He was highly graded coming into the season. So I don't think a guy like that, um, it's going to affect. Other guys, we'll have to wait and see. My own personal point of view is guys like Michael Parsons of Penn State, Celeb Farley uh, of uh, the cornerback from Virginia Tech, I think it's going to have a negative effect on them. Parsons is a guy who's a great athlete. He's an explosive player, but his instincts are suspect. Farley is a cornerback that showed flashed ability since his freshman season, yet he never put together one consistent year where he just basically dominated the opposition. And I think, you know, I've seen people talk about him as a top 15 pick. I don't agree with that only because of the fact that he was very streaky at Virginia Tech, and I thought he really needed to play this season. Where are the strengths of this particular draft in the first and, and second round, Tony? What, what positions are the positions of strength? Quarterback, as we spoke about earlier. I yep. like the receiver class. I don't think it's as depth at the lower end, but when you're talking about the first you know, 100 picks, I think it's very strong. I think it is a very strong offensive tackle class, really strong offensive tackle class. I think, you know, after you, get Kyle, after you get past Kyle Pitts, who's going to be a very early selection, I think there is some good depth at the, uh, at the tight end position in day two. 
who are a few names that really helped themselves out at the Senior Bowl of guys? Maybe you have any. You mentioned Mac Jones earlier. Who are, who are some other guys that that maybe were uh, uh, a little off the radar, but they've all of a sudden put themselves in the conversation to to be in the mix? You know, moved up a day in the draft. Let's say. Yeah, I think guys that were kind of off the radar outside the scouting community, Dwayne Eskridge, the smaller but explosive receiver out of Western Michigan, only practiced two days because he suffered a pectoral injury on day three, but could not be stopped. I mean, he was separating from defenders every which way possible through his route running, with his speed down the field. He was consistently three to four yards behind opponents, and he caught everything thrown in his direction. Obviously, the talk of the town has been Quinn Miners, the small school guard from Wisconsin Whitewater who was absolutely dominant. I mean, basically had an Ali Marpet type of performance. Ali Marpet, the offensive lineman from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who's now a Super Bowl champion, went to the uh, Senior Bowl about six years ago and destroyed everybody. That's what Quinn Miners did. Pass rushing drills, run blocking. I, I mean, top-level talent. He was just burying them day after day. I think Richie Grant, the safety from uh, Central Florida, also elevated his play. You know, the senior ball is you, it's sort of like the combine. You go to the senior ball with expectations, and if you beat those expectations, you come out of it with a higher draft grade than when you went in. And that's what Richie Grant did because people thought his ball skills were suspect, and he was intercepting pass day after day in the middle of the field, out on the flanks, really showed himself to be a complete safety. Does the lack of a combine, did that amp up the importance of the senior ball for a lot of these guys? Absolutely. No doubt about it. I mean, really, the Senior Bowl, except for the Hula Bowl, which had some decent talent there, but overall was nothing compared to the Senior Bowl. When you really get down to it, the Senior Bowl was the only major pre-draft event that's going to take place this year. No Shrine Game, no Combine. We hope we get a bunch of pro days, although we don't know what that's going to look like. So absolutely, and I mean... In some cases, I mentioned Quinn Miners. Uh, there were some uh, guys who opted out of the season. You'd mentioned the opt-outs before. Nico Collins, and the receiver from Michigan, and Ambry Thomas, the cornerback from uh, Michigan. It was the only chance that a lot of these guys, or the first time that these guys have played football, competitive football, in more than a year. So absolutely, it was incredible importance on the Senior Bowl this year. Tony Pauline, NFL Draft Analyst, ProFootballNetwork.com. That's where you can find his work. Tony, I always enjoy your work. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to talking to you again down the road. Thanks for making a few minutes for us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me again. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 